If your first time here, my name is Ricardo, one of the pastors. I get a chance to do a bulk of the preaching, and we'll get a chance to do such today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. And then one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, just go ahead and keep your, your hand raised. If you don't own a Bible, just go ahead and keep the one that we're handing out as our gift to you so that you can grow in a knowledge and an understanding of God's word. Uh, a couple things I just wanted to add on that. One, um, I love that this church serves um, special need families and, and children with special needs. One, because a lot of places we don't have the opportunity to do that. And uh, it's huge because to the families, um, as you already heard, it, it just makes a big difference for them. Many people um, come to this church for one reason, and that is that they know that they could actually be in a worship service where their kids could be cared for. So they're not here for the worship leader. They're not here for the preacher, though they love them. Um, but they're, they're here to be served and, um, and also are serving. And so that's really cool. Second thing is... Um, what I love about the leadership here at this church is Super Bowl Sunday. We don't have a 5 p.m. service. I wasn't a part of that. I didn't make those decisions. I don't really like football, but I'm glad that, they, I'm glad that, they, that they're doing that. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay, so let's recap a little bit here on where we've been in this, the book of Acts. So first week when Will Toddy told you who wrote the book of Acts, it, it's a two-part uh, series. There's the Gospel of Luke, and then there's the book of Acts, all written by Luke. He writes it to this man named Theophilus, who he calls Otheopolis. We're not exactly sure who he is. But what he does in the first book is he begins to say what Jesus did and his birth and his ministry and his, and his uh, miracles all the way to his death and resurrection. And then in his second book, Acts, he goes, here's what Jesus continued to do. Now, what's unique is if you continue to read the book of Acts, which we will, you see Jesus is not physically present, and yet Luke says, this is what Jesus continued to do. And one of the things that Luke is letting us know is that Jesus is constantly present through his spirit. And we see the passion and purpose and mission of God, um, ultimately the word of God being fulfilled in Jesus, and that we receive through the Holy Spirit, and we see that movement of Christ and of God's church, and of God's mission through the Spirit. And so that's what we looked at last week. And in it, Jesus had been resurrected. There was 40 days that he taught with his disciples. And then what happens, he says, I wanted you guys, to, I want you guys to stay here and pray. Don't go anywhere until you receive the promise of the Spirit. And they said, okay, now is the time that you're going to restore this whole thing, like heaven and earth fully restored, like right now. Because everything in their language and everything in their vernacular would have said the events that have happened, the resurrection of Christ, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the kingdom, now. And Jesus goes, nah, it's actually for the Father to know. And he gives this kind of four-part answer that talks about them being witnesses, talks about them receiving this foretaste of the kingdom, talking about the kingdom saying, yeah, it's already here, but not yet fully. And then how the kingdom of God ultimately would not be centered geographically as in Jerusalem, but it would start there. And the events of the gospel happened in Jerusalem. The birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the teachings, miracles, death, resurrection, he's exalted into the heavens, and he would send his spirit. But then that message would go forth, as Jesus said, from Jerusalem to all of Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in that moment, Jesus ascended into the heavens, and they were supposed to wait there and pray until God poured out his Holy Spirit. And so that's where we pick up this morning as we begin to see the movement of God's spirit as he pours out his spirit um, upon his church. And so would you guys pray with me as, as we ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we can come to the Father in your name and that in your name you have sent us the Spirit. 
and that your spirit is making you present now. So as we open up the scriptures, may it be a means of grace in which you dispense your grace to us as a people. As we prepare even our, our hearts and our minds collectively to eat the bread and drink the wine, that you would be present with us. And Lord, as we think about our weeks, as we parent, as we do relationships, as we think about the marketplace and education, as we think about our leisure and art and politics and everywhere that we find ourselves, help us to be reminded that your spirit makes Christ present. So we ask that you would do in us what we wouldn't even think, ask, or imagine, but according to your great grace, would you shape us and form us in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the books that I like to read with my kids, and now that they're getting older, they love to read, is a book called The Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you guys ever heard of C.S. Lewis. Uh, and in, in one, of the, one of the books is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which my kids have probably heard me read or have read maybe a thousand times. But there's a phrase in The Chronicles of Narnia that I love, and it's Aslan's on the move. If you've never read the book, shame on you, but Aslan's on the move. And Aslan on the move evokes different emotions, right? To one of the kids, it's like kind of danger and fear because his life ain't right. And, and then to the other kids, it's like excitement of a dream that you love, that you woke up and you're like, oh, I want to get back to that dream. Or maybe that feeling you get when you know it's the last day of school and the beginning of summer, right? Like Aslan's on the move. They don't really know Aslan. They're not really sure completely exactly what he's like, but they know something good and great is about to happen because Aslan is on the move. They're not exactly sure how it's going to work, but they've heard about this Aslan, and they know that Aslan is on the move. Something good, something great is about to happen because he's done it before. As we continue in the book of Acts, we see God is on the move. He's done it before. He's shown redemption before. He's revealed himself because he's a God who reveals and desires for us to know him, but he's on the move. Jesus is exalted into the heavens. They look up as, what are we going to do? Our leader left. And then there's angels there that are sitting going, no, do what he called you to do and wait for the spirit. Because God is on the move. But the book of Acts is the acts of God in this world working through his people. It is not primarily about us as the church. It is 100% about God and his mission and what he's doing and allowing us by his grace and power of his spirit to be participants, participants in what he's doing. And so that's where we pick up here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, continuing to see that God is on the move. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's kind of two ways to really look at this passage to approach the work of the Spirit. And, and, and hear me on this. I'm going to explain this, this language. One is ecclesiologically... And the other one is eschatology, right? I know some of you guys are like, wait, was that Ebonics? Like, where, like, right? It wasn't. Anyways, so ecclesiology is looking at it from a perspective. It just means the study of the church. Like, what is the spirit's role in the church? 
And then eschatology is end times. It means the study of end times. So um, I think the best way to look at it in terms, in light of the story, Genesis and Revelation, is eschatology, meaning God sovereignly being able to work in his attendant purposes of where he's taken history and what role now is the spirit playing in bringing about God's intended purposes to reconcile heaven and earth and to establish his kingdom here. So when we look at it that way, we begin to say we just can't look at Acts 2 as the beginning of the work of the spirit. One, because it's not the beginning of the work of the Spirit. Because God's Spirit had always existed with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, before creation, hovering around creation. We even see in the Old Testament the Spirit gives gifts to people. Like we see the movement of the Spirit. But when it's tethered to God's mission, and when the Spirit is tethered, what we know is this is something God's people have longed for. They've waited for. And it's hard for us because we've, many of us have read Acts and we've heard about the Holy Spirit and we know that Acts chapter 2 happens. Like we know these things as our um, 2017 American selves, we hear that. We have to go back, as we said last week, and put ourselves in our Jewish shoes. And not even just the first people who would have heard what Luke was talking about here, but the people, the men and women who are part of this 120 people as this is happening. So we have to slip on our Jewish shoes. We didn't know the name of them, so we called them Air Jesuses. Lace them up. Let's go. Or you can have them unlaced, however you do it, right? So you put, you put, you put your shoes on and understand this. And what we begin to see is they were longing for the Spirit. They didn't know that it was going to happen on Pentecost. Like, we know it now because we can celebrate it because we've read it, but they didn't know. Pentecost was one of the many festivals that they would have that many people would travel to Jerusalem as Jewish people to celebrate 50 days after the Passover. So you have, on Pentecost, there are many people who are in Jerusalem. Um, They speak different languages, though they are Jewish people. And they happen to be around, and then all of a sudden, the spirits poured out. They knew this would happen. In fact, if you look at Joel... Joel prophesies about this, as many prophets. Here's what Joel says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And what you see, not only Joel... But then Ezekiel says it in multiple places, but here in verse 36, or chapter 36, 23, all the way to 28, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. He's saying, listen, I'm going to vindicate myself, because my name you have drugged through the dirt around the nations. You did this. But then you see his grace. And he says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Like, it was your fault that my name got drugged through the dirt, and yet, in his grace, he's saying, through you, I'm going to make it known to them. That God has this desire for people to be gathered in. He says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. A new, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. 
this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And Isaiah speaks of the same things. And Zechariah speaks of the same things. We see this throughout the scripture. We see that even after this chapter in Ezekiel, there's this picture of, G, of, of God talking about these dry bones that don't have life and how his spirit was going to be poured out that would bring about new life. So as a Jewish man or a woman, when you're waiting for this promised spirit, you knew that it meant something of the end times, that God was doing something amazing. And so when this happens, they didn't know he was going to do it like this, though. Like, they didn't know this is how it was going to happen. That on this particular day, it says that there, there was movement that was happening, that there was wind and there were sounds, and it says, like, fire of tongues came down. And if you're in that room, you're thinking, wait a minute, we, there's an illusion here. We, 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 know, we've, we know about this because it kind of reminds you of Mount Sinai. When Moses himself is up on Mount Sinai and he meets with the Lord, there's a theophany, a re- revelation, a revealing of who God is. And they hear the sounds, and there's fire, there's wind. And then Moses comes down with the tablets, like, we have God's law. And now God is fulfilling what he said of the prophets, that you will no longer have to just look to the law on tablets, but I will take the law, and I will write them on your heart by the Spirit. I will take that of concrete and stone and remove it and put that of flesh, that now you may live in my ways, that the Spirit will bring about cleanliness And that means forgiveness. But forgiveness is not the primary only thing of the Spirit in our lives. Like, it is a beautiful thing to be forgiven and to know that you are forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future, in and through the work of Jesus. Like, it's a beautiful thing. But sometimes as followers of Christ, like, we land there. Like, I just got my sins forgiven. That's it. All our songs, our sins are forgiven. That's it. When Jesus is saying, I've cleansed you for a purpose that now the Spirit may be poured into you and that you may participate in all of my ways and that you may walk with me and that I will be your God and that you would be my people. And this enabling happens, this empowering happens as God pours out his Spirit upon his people. And so that's what's happening here. And then the fire comes down and then they start speaking in tongues. I know some of you guys are like, oh, this church I grew up in, like what? What are you talking about, Ricardo, right? And so let's deal briefly here on tongues, okay? So there's a couple ways to look at this. One is, if you think about, and, and one writer, uh, Daryl Box, says this. I think that's helpful. He said there's one-step tongues and there's two-step tongues. And so one-step tongues is what you see in the book of Acts. The language there literally means language. When it comes down and people are speaking in tongues, it literally means they're speaking in other languages, meaning they had a language they spoke, and then God did a mighty work in them. In this moment, they begin to speak a language that they never have spoken before in their life. It'd be like me. I'll, I, I speak English. And if the Spirit came upon me and I start speaking Swahili, I start speaking Spanish, um, I start speaking proper English, like, like everybody would go, that's an act of, dang, that's an act of God, right? <laughs> Haters. So, so there's... There's, there's one-step tongues, which is languages. And then there's two-step tongues. This is tongues. This is what you see in, in Corinthians and so forth. That is, one person speaks in a language that is unknown to them and usually anybody else in the room, and there's an interpreter who interprets it. And then there's private prayer language, right? And then most of us want to spend our time talking about um, tongues and interpretation, and if it is, there's such a thing as private prayer language. And you know what? We're not going to do that because that doesn't come up in Acts. So back to Acts chapter 1, right? And in chapter 2, you have this one-step tongues. They're speaking in languages. And there are men who are around because they're there for the Pentecost. 
They're there traveling from different parts of the world who are Jewish people who do not speak Hebrew, or they speak Hebrew, but their dominant language are the languages of which they're coming from. And as they come close to this house, which must have been in public, where these men and women were in there praying, you want to talk about a prayer and praise night? Like they're praying, the Spirit shows up in such a way they start speaking languages. Like this has got to be crazy, right? Everybody's speaking in languages that they've never heard before, that they've never been able to speak before. And these men are walking by hearing them testify of the mighty works of God. Like the mighty works of God. And nobody knew that it was going to happen like this. Like they knew the Messiah was going to gather. Like the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to gather us in. The Messiah is going to take the world where it's supposed to go. They had no idea that they would be gathered, and then because of the Messiah, they would also become gatherers. Meaning the Spirit would not just wrap them into the family of God, but now they were going to participate in God's mission. That when you receive the Spirit, that you become witnesses, as we talked about last week. Like they didn't know that that would happen like that. And the men who witnessed it, as we'll see they're confused, and they don't know what's going on. And I like to think that even the, the men and women that are speaking in different tongues, I think they're confused too, guys. Like, I don't think they're like, oh, oh yeah, Spanish. Yeah, I've been doing that. I mean, you know, it happens every once in a while, you know. <laughs> That's how I met your mother, you know. Like, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, the Spirit was poured out upon them. They didn't know that it was going to happen like that. Now, mind you, remember I said we are in our Hebrew shoes. We didn't know the Spirit was going to like, allow us to be in and participate in this mission. And these men who are experiencing this, that are walking by, it says that they're devout, meaning they've been reading their Bibles. Like they know the ways of God. And they knew what God would do, but nobody knew that it would be the way that it is. So let's defamiliarize ourselves with that so that we can understand it better as we live on mission with the Lord. So um, about eight years ago, no, 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 six years ago, because uh, Lucy's six. And so the guy who married us, uh, who married my wife and I, Tyler Johnson, who you guys have seen, he's the lead pastor of Redemption. Um, him and his wife had adopted a, a little girl, and they, they adopted a little African-American girl. Him and his wife are both white, and their kids are, like, one's got red hair and, you know, like, real white, and then, and then, and then the other kid, right? So I knew my family was coming in town, and I was like, it'd be really cool, you guys, because my mom and then they would, like, you know, tell you how to do her hair and some things like that, which we don't want to get. We'll talk about that, right? And so why don't you guys come over? So I told my nephew, hey, Tyler's got a, they just had another baby. They have a little baby. And so he's like, oh, yeah, he loves babies. So when Tyler walks in, it's him and his wife, they're two boys, um, and then Lucy's in the carrier, and Brandon, my 12-year-old nephew at the time, runs up and, like, lifts up, like, let me see. And he looks at the girl, who's black, and goes, what happened? Right? <laughs> what happened? And I'm embarrassed. I'm like, man, have some home training or something. You, she looks just like him. Right? <laughs> and I said, Brandon, she's adopted. He goes, oh. And he was like, what happened? Like, what happened? <laughs> and... And his mind is going, you said they had a baby. I had seen them married. I had seen their other kids. So when I thought, okay, they're going to have a baby, I have an understanding of what this could look like. And that shocked me, right? Like, I did not expect that. Yeah, I know it's a baby. But the baby's black, right? 
So when God's people now are seeing and experiencing the Spirit of God being poured out, they're going, we knew that it said that, but do you realize that these men are speaking in languages that they've never even heard of themselves or been able to speak? And, and they're not just speaking gibberish, they're testifying to the mighty works of God. Like, this is, this is wild. And so verse 5 says this as we continue. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, some people would insert here, this is when the church started becoming uh, multi-ethnic, and this was God's multi-ethnic agenda. It's not true. Um, God's multi-ethnic agenda actually goes all the way back to Genesis. That when you look at Genesis chapter 12, of which Paul later in Galatians chapter 3 says that God preached the gospel, meaning it was good news to Abraham, that good news of what God was going to do in Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm choosing you, Abraham, and I'm choosing to tether my mission through you and your family. And every nation will be blessed through you. And the word nation is where we get the word ethnicity. So literally he's saying, through you and my work through you, the ethnicities will come to know me through your work. And we know that ultimately that becomes, that lineage becomes the, the savior of the world in Christ. Also, these, this is not necessarily multi-ethnic in the sense of different ethnicities. That actually happens because that's what God's plan is, but it's going to unfold after chapter 8 and so forth. These are actually Jewish people who had been dispersed throughout the regions around. And had, because they found out they lived in different places, they learned different languages and so forth, and that they were back in Jerusalem. Some had resettled, and then some ultimately were just back for the Pentecost. So their primary language were these other languages, but they would also know uh, Hebrew as well. So when he says this devout men from every nation, it's still Jewish people because God said this. Jesus said, I'm gathering Israel first. Paul says it this way. I'm not ashamed for the gospel, for it is the power of God for everybody who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That's not a rank and file, that's chronological and what God is doing in his mission. So he's gathering Israel together and he's restoring Israel right now, pouring out his spirit. They're hearing the gospel. Verse six, and it says, and at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I said that word and have been saying that word wrong all day. Um, so here's the thing. <laughs> I'm just going to call them the G people, like they're homies. So, and I know because last hour or two, a lot of you guys are going to come and try to tell me how to say it. I can't say it, guys, <laughs> because I practice it over and over again. It's not happening. But let me just tell you something about the G people, right? They, the reason why these men, you guys laugh, but just wait. It's a punchline coming. The reason why these men... Um, were like, why are, like, how are they doing it? Because they were known as the, the uneducated, not intellectual, like the last thing they would know how to do is speak another language. The last thing they would know how to do is pronounce words the right way, and other people would make fun of them, and God was like, that's bad. So, let that sit where it may. So, literally, they were uneducated people, and they're going, how is this happening? So, so you're in their shoes and you're going, okay, the Spirit's been poured out or something, I don't know, but I hear about the mighty works of God and I hear it in my language. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The church ought to be, hear me, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not pragmatics, not strategies, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
not just good Bible studies, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not community, filled with the Holy Spirit and all that gets wrapped in with it. When you begin to see filled with the Holy Spirit, what you see throughout Acts is a person or a people are filled with the Spirit and then they speak and they act and they do in the name of Jesus. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks and he acts and he does. The, the, in Acts chapter 6, when they begin to start the diaconal, the, deacon, the deacons, they begin to serve in such a way they begin to respond in the filling of the Spirit in ways that they speak, act, and do in the name of Jesus. That you see this with the Apostle Paul. You see this with Stephen. You see it throughout. Filled with the Holy Spirit that when a person is filled with the Spirit, they begin to declare in word and deeds the mighty acts of God. Like they, they, they can't but help it that they have been moved in such a way, empowered in such a way that they are filled that they cannot do but only what God has called them to do. And they begin to share the gospel in a way that these men are going, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to do. I'm perplexed. I'm bewildered. I'm astonished. I'm amazed. All the adjectives that they begin to use here that Luke writes is going, they could not give an answer for it. But they were filled and they begin to witness and become witnesses of the mighty works of God by being filled with the Spirit. So when I was in college, it's 2003, 2004, one of those years, one of, one of my senior years. And while I was in college, I, I grew up going to church. I never had a relationship with Jesus, we use that language. Um, but I knew who God was, I thought I knew who God was, but there was nothing, there was no functional living. There was no connection between my faith and life. And, um, and I, was, I, I wasn't necessarily going through a hard time, but I definitely wasn't with the Lord. And my mother and her prayer group, there's a prayer group she had, they were praying. And this, this lady said she was filled with the Spirit, and I was sitting in this day at uh, the Alexon Apartments, which are no longer named that, and I got a phone call from this lady who said the Lord had filled it with the Spirit and she had a word for me. And I'm like, um, who gave you my number, right? <laughs> Did the Lord give you my number? Like, like what, what? And she, she, she's like, you know, I'm in your mom's prayer group and I'm mad at my mom already, you know, like, what are you giving this crazy lady? Honestly, like, she's crazy, what are you calling me for? Um, my number. And, um, and then, okay, this is gonna make some of you guys uncomfortable because some of us, we're like a really, like we want the Holy Spirit but, like, we don't want him to live in our neighborhood, right? Like, we're like the people who move in neighborhoods. Like, hey, there's, there's poor people that live across the street from us. We're around it, but they're across the street. <laughs> oh, there's neighborhood. Oh, there's some gang violence in my neighborhood. Like, I'm keeping it real, but we live on the other side of the gate. Uh, I feel like we treat the Holy Spirit like that. We want to be around. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit. But we don't want him to, like, mess up stuff in our neighborhood. Don't give him the code to the gate. <laughs> Here's the thing, he doesn't need it. He's just broken their house and they start speaking different languages. So just saying. So this lady said she was filled with the Spirit. She calls me. She starts telling me things that only God had to reveal to her about myself that nobody knew. One of the things she said is that I've been trying to pursue God or seek God, but yet I get distracted. And it was so true. Like in college, I'm like, I'd, I'd go, you know what, this is... I'm gonna get right with the Lord. And I'd show up to some church and try to get right with the Lord and I'd just get distracted and so forth. Um, the other thing she began to talk about was, and this is where it got really weird for me, she goes, you know, you have this pain in your, in your abs. I had this, ab, this abdominal pain for a while 
And I thought I'd move so fast that I ripped my muscles or something like that, but <laughs> I ain't Luke Cage. So, so there's, there's, there was this, and I was like, well, yeah, I, I do have that. And she goes, you don't need to see the doctor anymore. You're fine. It's, it's a reminder, an indicator that God's going to transform you from the inside out. Okay, she said that, I promise you guys, I went to the blinds, and I'm looking out the blinds, like, <laughs> not like that would have mattered if she should have been out there. Like, it still would have, like, that would have been worse. <laughs> like, you know, so that would have, that would have been worse. That would have been worse. And, and the next thing blew me away. So the girl that I was with at the time, we had gone through an abortion, and it wrecked me, like, mentally, like, I, it was just bad. It was and I was having these bad dreams and so forth, and she says, the Lord knows, and he forgives you. And I just felt, like, physically, the weight. I didn't even know I had weight, but it, it was released, and my chest was free. And, um, and she explained a bunch of other things that, uh, or she started talking about a bunch of other things that really did come to pass. Part of it was doing what I'm doing now. She goes, don't be surprised when you have a desire to preach God's word. I'm like, uh... Okay, you got me with the stomach thing. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, and and, uh, and I, I remember she, then she shared the gospel. She shared the good news about how God had always wanted and pursued me before I even could really think of him and that I, he was not going to let me go and I had two options, to either let him wrestle me down or to walk freely into his arms. And, I mean, she starts, I mean, just sharing the life and love that we have in Christ and what repentance looked like. And I said, what do I do? I literally said, what do I do? And she said, something like follow Jesus or something like that. And when you're not, like that sounds common to a lot of us. So some of you guys, you guys are going to get what I'm saying. We use a lot of language oftentimes within the church that we just assume people know. That when she said follow Jesus, my first response was, how? Because I'm not exactly sure where he's at, right? Um, and she just start going to a church and so forth. Um, I had never met her before. You know, I tried, and we tried to touch base or whatever. To me, she could have been an angel. It didn't, it, what mattered was she got filled with the Spirit in order to tell me something, and the Spirit used her words to bring the gospel to my neighborhood. And it could have only been from God. If you are a follower of Christ in this room, and it wasn't, like you think it was because of your circumstances, or because you were quote-unquote raised in a Christian family, although the Lord obviously blesses through those. Like, it is always a sovereign, beautiful act of God that, that brings about the work of Christ and makes it present by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what the people of God are starting to experience now is they kind of figured the Messiah would do that. And the Messiah is, I am going to do it, and I'm going to give you the Spirit and I'm going to work through you to be my witnesses. To be able to tell people the mighty acts of God in such a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is brought to their neighborhood. That they begin to hear the gospel in their own language. In ways in which they can understand. In ways in which God begins to open up their eyes and see. And then many of us, as we hear this, we're perplexed. We're perplexed. Um, ultimately, we're perplexed, and not in the hopefully in saving ways of who God is, but these men now are going, we don't know what to do with this. Because 
God just did something maybe we're not exactly sure of what's happening. And look at their response. In verse 8, um, they says, each of us, we hear each of us in our own language, our native language. And they begin to talk about the different languages that they hear. And then in verse 11, it says, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians, are hearing the mighty works, or hear them telling in their own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. He goes, Jewish people were hearing it, and proselytes, which were Gentiles, non-Jewish people who had become Jewish. Meaning that either the men were circumcised and the women ultimately gave themselves to Jewish tradition. They were trying to follow God. Um, in fact, there were more women proselytes than even um, men there. They were leading the charge spiritually. Good things, good thing, things have changed. And so there's, there, there is this, there is this sense here where they're going, we don't know what to do. And then they say in verse 12, and we were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Does this, does this mean that God is doing a work that we thought was saved for later, but he's doing it now? Does this mean now that every single man and woman and child that believes upon his son in Christ will now be wrapped into God's mission in a way that they will continue to share with all the nations of the mighty works of God? They don't know. They're going, what does this mean? They're curious. They're curious, and then there was another group, and they said this, verse 13, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. Like there's a devout people going, we don't know what to do with this. Some are going, That's am- this, is ama- this is amazing. This is, I just heard about God. This was amazing, and other ones are going, nah, they're drunk. They're drunk, right? And then next week, uh, when we get to the next session, like Peter gets up and he starts explaining everything, and I've always thought it was comical that Peter says, men of Israel, what you hear, ultimately, they're not drunk because it's only 9 o'clock. And it's like, is he, did they wait till later? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what's happening there, right? And so these men are perplexed. They're perplexed. And they're saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? What we see right now is the Spirit is poured out. And when the Spirit pours out, we have to begin to ask our, ourselves the questions afresh. What does this mean? That night that I ultimately believed in Jesus, when that lady told me that my sins were forgiven in Christ and I can know God, I wept like a baby. I never felt that way. I never felt that way. Um, and, and, and I can sing, you know, with, with the hymnist to say, my, my chains fell off and my heart was set free and I rose went forth to follow thee. What does this mean? And I'd love to tell you that night my life changed so radically and I never sinned again. You know what I did? That night, I called up one of my best friends and said, let's go out. We went out and celebrated by getting drunk. I said, I told him I'm going to be a new man, right? You know, I I had the right idea. (laughs) I just needed some discipleship, right? That That came later. But when the Spirit was poured out, it meant something for the people of God, that God was on the move, he is on the move, that Jesus promised to be with this church to the end, and he's with us by his spirit. Well, that means something. That means something for us as a community. At at least a few things as we respond to that. One is that we're a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's something that we need, that we, we need to be filled ongoing with the person and the presence and the power of God and through his Holy Spirit to enable and empower us for his mission, and for his glory, and for his namesake. Being filled with the Spirit is not about who's the holiest person in the room. Like, that's pointless. We need to be filled with the Spirit collectively. And two, that we become a people of prayer. And one of our prayers that we can have in even our response time is that we pray that God would fill us with the Spirit. 
And I want you to hear what I said. Us, not just me. Like, it's not a me and Jesus thing. Like, the, the mission of God and ultimately us as the church, it is us participating with God and each other. That we should care about the walks with Christ of our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're a part of this church or the church down the street or the church that is in Christ in our state, in our country, or in our world. That ultimately we say, Lord, us, that we fill us and that we become a people and a continued people of pray, a prayer that pray and 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 pray. That God would use our prayers to dispense his grace to us that we'd be continually equipped for his mission. And then lastly, a people of witness. That means that in being filled with the Spirit, we do, we speak, we act, whatever it is God is saying, that we're able to bring the gospel to bear in words and the people in our lives, our family members, our coworkers, and our friends. We bring the gospel to bear in, in cultural things, in the marketplace, in business, in politics, in arts, in sports, in our leisure time. That we bring the gospel to bear in all of these areas, knowing that the kingdom of God is broken in that the Spirit is, has poured out, and that Christ is present with us constantly. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your church and your word, for your mission, and for your purpose, and for your plan. We thank you that you love us, Lord, and because you love us, we love you. We ask that you would guide us and shape us and form us and fill us, God, that we would continue to be your people, trusting that you and yourself and your power and plans are taking history to where it's supposed to be. Help us to continue your mission, Lord, past Samaria, all the way to Phoenix and here in Tempe. Lord, in the grocery stores and at the parks, in the libraries, Lord, in our homes. As we gather on Sundays and as we go to the places that you've called us to Monday through Saturday, humble us, Lord, with your presence. Remind us, Jesus, that you were with us. God, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.